0: think it's, yeah.
1: yeah. Hello there. We missed both of you last week.
2: Well, my dentist, I had an appointment on a Wednesday and they called and said, we only have two patients coming in that day, so we're changing you and we're going to close the office that day.
0: Okay. Really? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, just ask, I, I feel like my, my I thought about this a lot, my rejoinder would be, okay, so next time if I have an appointment, it turns out I'm not going to be in the area there, I just call in, we're good, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I was so blown away by oh, the reasoning. <laughs> <for that. laughs> However, you get to have one of these, too. You're cool. Huh? Cool, cool
3: mimi did griselda print out your uh, thing for you you have to have your own life please. but she you're comprehend yeah <sighs>
2: Who's the big tea drinker here? Um, I don't think
0: there's one. So there's two cases of it down in the kitchen. Oh, a lot. Of, oh, down yeah, there you I, I often, teachers have it on Sunday. People have tea. Um, all the, you know, afternoon green tea now and then. So, yeah, a lot of people drink it. How cheap you? see how I get
3: there, There's a great variety down need to find out the problem with this thing. I can't really quite find out how to do it. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, you're fine. i got to be able to hear. My, um, oh, there we go. Okay.
0: Mimi, did you get your thing printed out?
2: You got yeah, email. I know, but how do I get it?
0: You go in your email, and you print and you print the attachment that was a, 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 attached to it. The
2: email. Because if you don't have it, it you're not going
0: to know what we're talking about.
2: But you don't have a printer. Uh-huh. You don't have a printer. I
0: don't have a printer. Oh, then um, you just have to listen, I guess. No.
2: Okay. We just have to listen. Oh, all right. And we'll just listen. (laughs)
3: Okay. Oh, that's right. I got to do that too. Okay.
0: Mimi, make sure you mute yourself. Mute. Use your mute button.
3: Mute. 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 Sure. Yeah. There you go. All right. Hello, Elizabeth.
2: Is Jack Morning.
3: Oh, no, Jack was traveling.
2: That's okay. right.
0: Okay. Carolyn is getting treatments for cancer, though. Uh, they found something very early stages. She's having some stuff. Carolyn.
1: Um,
0: if anyone wants to have a copy of what we're going to talk about in front of you, there that is. I think
3: both
0: them. Okay. So we have another minute or so.
1: Is um you sharing what type of cancer I think
0: it's breast. breast. Oh yeah. There's some things found good. in there at very early Wow, uh-huh.
2: That's the least scary of the flesh, I think. Not at a time. Well
0: that's no, fun. We've got certainly had a number of people survive
2: that. Yeah, exactly i Susan. Susan. And I'm Carol. And this is my husband, yeah. Dean. Hi, Dean. Mm-hmm. But his nice name is nice. Susan, so I should be able to remember that. If not, it's yeah. low risk. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Susan, where should we sure. put the Armenians on Sunday? All, right. yeah. yeah. All right, in Glendale, Little Armenia. And um, it was in St. Mary's Church, Okay. It's it's an old, must be Protestant church that they've been in for a long time. But it has that structure of a Protestant church rather than the dome and the Armenian style. But they, when they cross themselves, 90% of the time when they cross themselves, they touch the ground first. And then maybe the sign of the cross. Do you know that tradition? I don't know We didn't either. And Eric has been in many Armenian churches, but it was new to us. Um, and, but that was that was how they did that. Hmm. What,
0: what does it mean?
1: I think it means bless bless the ground of this church. Okay. You know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, this place. You have
0: to be limber. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, every time yeah. This we thought we kind of get up and down. Yeah. Get, get every around. time they
1: touch the ground, I thought we were sitting down. It's like, oh no, no, we're not. <laughs> we are doing something else.
0: Yeah. They stand the whole time. Uh,
1: not the whole time, but a majority uh, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's three hours. Oh. Yeah. Three. Yeah. That's a regular service. That's not the vigil. That's not. That's, yeah, that's their sure. regular service. It's regular right. three yeah, hours. Sure. Yeah. That's right. But if you know it, and because I know how it goes so it's not to me it's not that taxing you know. well
0: if you, you have to I, I think it's right just as a theory of worship you have to enter into the reality yeah. of what you're entering into yeah. if you if you process the liturgical time in modern economic time you're right being patient if yeah. you if you with st. John come up here yeah to see exactly. you, you it, it's a different dynamic here um, again, it's lovely so. to
1: worship with other people in that you don't know, that you find,
0: you know, you have that in common with. I I like, you know, doing them. <coughs> so, all right, let's begin. Let's all pray. pray. Bless the Lord has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant, we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast, the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So um, I thought we'd spend a little time with uh, a chronology. So I sent you all something out, which is a um, actually a thing I created, gosh, just maybe 30 years old, for a... Um, um, I think it was either uh, it was the Old Testament class I took, and the, the teacher would take chronologies and maybe take on chronologies. but <laughs> I, I realized well, why, why chronologies? Because I think if we just open the Bible up and start reading it, we're, we're not really clear about where we are in the story, and what's happening may seem like a somewhat random event. Um, but once we place, once we know, when reading a book, oh, it fits in this place in history and it's dealing with these things, it begins to have some thematic coherence, uh, not just say a you know a, a, a random story about heroism or people being really bad, but but it's it's you know th- this aspect of tempting or testing. So um, so that's what this is. Now let me let's let me. It's not. You know, there's a lot of words in a small section, so let me just kind of orient you to what it says, and we can talk about the details of it. So, um, so the, right above that, the, the top horizontal line, above which are a bunch of dates, um, and then below are events, and those are meant to be seen as columns, so that everything under a C period means circa in the neighborhood of probably within one to 200 years. That's what a C period before a date in scholarly stuff does, tells you. Uh, they know it, was, it happened. They're not exactly sure when. So, so that under the two thousand seventeen hundred, thus we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and 12 tribes. Then we have under 1450, uh, uh, I'll talk about that a little bit. We have Exodus, Decalogue, under 1400, down we have the settlement of the PL there in the third category, means promised land, under Joshua, and the period of the Judges. And then below that are the books. Um, now, when I when I, I place books under time frames, these are the, this is the the um, the time frame of the events that those books talk about there's not there's debate about when those books were written i'm not addressing that issue but if if a book is dealing with a, the settlement of the promised land for example j- judges who knows when they put all the things in judges together in to a book but it's talking about things that happened in that in that period of time frame and then we have 1000 uh 30 to 930 the, the monarchy the split kingdom the 800s. Ahab and, and and then leading to the destruction of the Northern Kingdom and then Manasseh and being at the end to the, to the destruction of the Southern Kingdom and the rebuilding and which which kind of is the table set for the for the New Testament. This
2: is great. So I love this. Yeah.
0: Good. That's helpful. Cool. So.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so I, I thought we'd kind of talk through this a little bit and um my note above, I says the Old Testament begins with prehistory, events that cannot be dated with any certainty based on archaeological evidence. This includes everything before Abraham. So Abraham lived around 2000 BC. We think, if you think about Abraham as being about as far before Christ as we are after him, give or take 100 years, it's a good rule of thumb. So so that so it just helps us to, to get our arms around that now um, when we talk about prehistory we don't mean it didn't happen we mean um, there are events that have, that that in in modern sort of archaeological terms there's not like excavations that deal with the period that it it's ends we don't know we don't have a um, you know a, a are, you know, so and that's that's what I call prehistory. We don't date it. And there's a lot of debates about how old, how, we were talking about earlier, Carol asked the question, you know, how old the world is, where are the cavemen, and all that. We're not going to answer that today, so uh, I, I will not allow it to be sidetracked. I'm happy to do a separate Bible study where we get some resources and talk about those things if you'd like to do that, but we're going to stay focused here because um, there are a lot of digressions that could occur. So prehistory is everything before Abraham, and then um, after that is um, things that have a a date, although some dates are in dispute, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, The biggest question mark in biblical dating is the date of the Exodus. And so if you see in the second category... I say circa 450 to 1250. Um, the traditional date of the Exodus is something like 1440 or 50 BC, based on some things that are said in the Bible about the generations from here to there. Some of the modern archaeologists wanted to put that back to about 1250 BC, and and claim that they um, that that fits better. Again, we're not going to adjudicate that today. Um, there's a book, if you're interested in that one, I haven't read it, called Pharaohs and Kings. And um, what we have to be aware of here is that, uh, as as I think the author of that book says, that the entire chronology of the Old Testament is based on a few shards of Egyptian potter people. <laughs> so, and, and, and one of the... Um, Intentions of the author of that book is that it, it, they, they may have gotten the pharaohs wrong. They may have dated the pharaoh if you, if you, and you may have associated certain pharaohs with biblical horizons, and that may be wrong identifications. Again, I don't plan to adjudicate that today. Um,
1: for the purposes
0: of of teaching the scriptures, when we talk about the Exodus, we we, we treat it like it happened and it like the Bible records it and a modern dating of the event isn't as important other, other than to put it in the sequence of the stories. So, so the
2: 1450 to 1030 sort of overlap each other, and those things happen?
0: Well, so 1450 to 1250 is really, in some ways, you know, either or. If you're, a more, if you're like the traditional biblical dating, you're going to say the Exodus took place in 1450 about. The fourteen hundreds, modern scholarship say about like 12, 1200s. That's an Exodus date. Then after that, from fourteen fifty, whenever that took place, um, you go through the wilderness, and then you're, then you have uh, you enter the Promised Land, and you have the period of the Judges, um, and so that's that's what goes from fourteen hundred, circa fourteen hundred. So. Yes. May I should clarify this so that um, if you look at the date, circa 1400, in the third column, I might actually correct that a little bit. It's meant to just be the approximation of the ranges in the top of the second column. So whatever, um, whatever, whenever the Exodus took place, the next column, the events in the next column took place after. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Okay um so that's the prehistory and those are the things you know when abraham was when the exodus was all of the other things are pretty the the dates on them are pretty agreed upon that is there are contemporaneous contemporaneous archaeological evidence um just about everyone you know believes that uh uh you know David became king uh, somewhere around Saul became king by ten thirty david then then Solomon. the temple was built in nine seventy um, there was a split in the kingdoms in nine thirty one a very big date and then in the Bible, you have these separate um,
3: Kingdoms that um, talk about a little bit so
0: Prehistory, going back to my notes at the top, prehistory covered by Gen- is covered by Genesis 1 through 11. And that's the creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Again, no one's, we're upset to class these things didn't happen. We just can't date them in modern terms with certainty. Datable history begins with Genesis 12 and Abraham. So, any uh, any questions about any of that overall thing? And then we'll kind of maybe walk our way through the.
1: What is PL?
0: Promised Land.
1: Oh, Promised Land. Okay. Good to know.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) When you're, I didn't have a really great program, so trying to fit things in columns.
3: No, I
1: just. Abbreviation
0: of words is very significant.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't want to miss the Promised Land for sure. (laughs)
0: so let, let's kind of walk our way through the, the biblical story a little bit and we, and we know uh in the events we'll kind of summarize to get up to where we are on the chronology so the bible tells us about the creation of the world in genesis one and i would i i would um advocate for the view that to get involved in debates about when that happened is, is not usually very fruitful, because mainly because the author of Genesis didn't intend to answer that question. He's an ancient Near Eastern writer who's interested with um, meaning and uh, purpose, not fact. And date, and so what the Genesis creation narrative tells us is that, and it's also the other thing that, that if you're interested in the book about um, this, that oh, let's put it over here, the um, Jewish author whose name is Nahum Sarna has a book called. Um, Understanding Genesis and a second one called Exploring Exodus. And he deals with a lot of um, I think my
3: understanding. Anyway,
0: but he 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 really gets at that that the purpose of the um, creation narrative is. Really, a, it's, 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 it's a proclamation of the good news as it existed at that time to the ancient world because it proclaims that in the midst of a whole bunch of competing pagan mythologies about the origin of workers, every single ancient civilization had an origin story. And the origin stories of the ancient civilizations, contemporaneous with Genesis. There's a Babylonian uh, myth. There are only fragments of those myths around. So people reading them, they, try, they kind of figure out what they, what they are, uh, which is another testimony to the truth of the biblical account that it actually survived <laughs> because maybe it talks about the living God. But um, they all posited that... Um, the creation resulted from war, there there were many gods, creation resulted uh, from uh, conflict between the gods. Uh, Humans were often created to provide menial labor, manual labor, you know, to, to serve the gods, who were, you know, kind of angry, vengeful, and so that's, you know, so a lot of the 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 ancient ideas of sacrifice were about about appeasing a god who's really pissed, you know. <laughs> and and uh, are are so when Genesis comes to that milieu, it 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 it, it um, sets forth a god who creates the world um, by his word and by his spirit, and that there's no other thing that is um, not subject to him. And even in the creation narrative, when it gets into creating stars and those are thought to be gods in a lot of pagan civilizations. So the fact that God created and then named it shows that He has sovereign control over it. So that's really its function in the ancient Near East is to proclaim sort of good news of God's sovereignty, the one true God who created the world with order and beauty. And and not out of anger. Not out of mm-hmm. anger. Out of the fullness of his love. And this is very important for the Christian here, because it's, it's the more you reflect on this, the more we, we see the great parallels between, you know, Genesis and the Incarnation. Because, again, in Genesis, we talk about this a lot, but God created by speaking through his spirit. And in Christ, God speaks through the Word made flesh, and then sends the Spirit on Pentecost to, to renew. So the the parallel of God's activity, and in both cases, it is a God who 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 is um, love within himself, uh, who decides to to share what he has with the creation out of his fullness, not not out of need. And there's there and there's an a clearly, you know, ethical basis throughout Genesis that God, had, it, you know, God, man made in His image must be like God in terms of how He He tr- cares for things and, and creates things. So that's the main point of Genesis, and then, and then Genesis one, of course, Genesis two tells us about the the, the, the creation of Adam in greater detail, and then Genesis three tells us about the the fall, um, and again. To, to me, to me, the the, the the truth of Genesis three, when you read the the, the, the narrative of temptation and uh, fall, is how true it rings to the human experience. Absolutely, you know, it's like you, you. But you're missing that this this is explaining to us that that God made um, human beings in His image and made, and made them good. What brought evil into the world? Um, it was the human decision not to be subject to the word of God. And if you, if you think about it, that um, everything in Genesis 1, when God spoke, it just happened. And alone among all that God had made, uh, Adam, that's the central Hebrew word for man, out of whom comes Eve, um was given the ability to um not do what God said. That's 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 assumed. And now it was never put as a test, the sense that God said just don't eat that. Gave you everything. Okay. So the idea that you would have the freedom to do what he said not to do. But that so in, in the biblical narrative, evil comes in the world into the world through the human decision to rebel against God. And that informs these origin narratives and and these narratives of the world should inform the way we look at the world. Why is God doing this to me? Well, step back. Um, Things happen because the world is disordered on account of sin and we are all collateral damage of a lot of things, but it it isn't God who who in in the beginning created it and said it's very good deciding to nail you. That's just the way the world goes. What God does is come into that and provide a redemptive narrative in the midst of the chaos. And one of the key things about the flow of the early Genesis narrative is you have the creation of the world in, in order and beauty, until Genesis 3, when you have rebellion of man and sin, and then you have what essentially is a decreation. The the, the creative process is reversed, and that which is in harmony and beautiful begins to be to break apart. First murder in Genesis 4, the angels um who who um the, the sons of God saw the daughters of women, they were fair, they break through their boundaries. Adam broke through his boundary. The angel's break. And of course, the angel already had broke through his boundary because we know that the, that the serpent is an angel who uh, w- was where he ought not to have been. And then the result, when we get to to it, the flood of Noah, is the world is once again covered with water. If you think about Genesis one when it began, that's where it was. God brought order and beauty out of the out of the out of the water, out of the chaos, and now the world is covered again. It goes back to, to, so so it's de-creation. And so this theme of of new creation that comes out of Noah, because um, Noah is both, um, you know, the ark is the sign that the world is being judged and destroyed, but it's also the hope. Here is the new people of God in the ark, and then when the flood subsides, Noah comes out, and there's a new, he makes a God makes a covenant with Noah. That, that that is the beginning of the covenants, and so then we get the genealogy from from Noah. That eventually gets us to Abraham, and the other significance, or, or another significant story, then is um, the Tower of Babel, which is also in that prehistory, where that's in Genesis, I think, ten, where. Uh, as human beings spread over the earth. They, they try to gather and build a city and make a name and create a kind of unity. And it says God confuses them and they're scattered. But in a certain way, you, you have in the Bible this, this juxtaposition between the human attempt to create something which always falls and God's everlasting covenant that begins with Noah and Abraham and is going to come on, which which will not fail, which will... And end up in a new creation in subsequent fits and starts, shall we say? <laughs> um, because it never, it never, the, the the hero never quite is heroic enough. Noah is a righteous man, but after the flood, he gets drunk, and his kids don't behave very well, and they just, something happens in that weird story. Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham is guy God calls, but he does a thing here or there. That,
3: um,
0: so, but that's, we'll, we'll pick, so so, so then the the the, 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 the covenant with Noah, uh, in, in, and then we have the descendants of Noah to get us through Terah to Abraham. And the story of Abraham is, you know, I, I thought about having a map here, I should have brought those maps up down below, but. But Abraham lived in what is in modern day probably somewhere in Iraq. When you think of, of Babylon and the Chaldeans, think of Iraq. That's the ancient Near East, uh, that, that that out of which Abraham was called when God told him to leave. And apparently, there was um, a migration of people in that point in time I, I can I, if I recall correctly my Hebrew professor said that the the river shifted and caused a, a relocation because you you can only live where the water is unless you're we just pipe it everywhere
3: now you know but um
0: so but the Bible tells Abraham to leave his home and his family and he goes to a place north of the promised land called Haran. And then he comes down into the promised land and he wanders around it. Um, and so, what that's this is about 200, uh, 2000 BC. And what did uh, what did what was God's covenant with Abraham? What did he tell him to do? And what were the what are what are the, what are the and this is all picked up in Genesis because Abraham does live into Exodus. Um, he told Abraham to leave his country. What, he, what did he say he'd give him? I
1: Inher- mean, um, ch- children as much as the stars.
0: Children, yeah.
1: Land,
0: land, and children, largely, um, and prosperity would go well. Mm-hmm. And what was this? What was the um, the sign of that promise?
1: Circumcision.
0: Circumcision. He 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 instituted the covenant of circumcision with him. Um, um, although there's an, a significant thing that we should know um, that Saint Paul makes a great deal of hay about, which is that um,
3: circumcision comes along in. Um, Genesis chapter 17, I believe. I would take a peek at that because it's significant about Abraham. Yeah, so 17. 17. he establishes the covenant of circumcision. And that's where
0: he has the miraculous child, Isaac, and circumcises him. At the end of 17, it's interesting. Um, also, Abra- also Ishmael was circumcised. And of course, this is part of the, if, if, you know, the. The Muslim story traces itself, usually it through the Arab people, through Ishmael, um, and he was circumcised. Would say he is the rightful heir, but the problem, even though Ishmael was circumcised, the covenant is with the, the one who is circumcised on the eighth day, and by the time circumcision is there for Ishmael, he's a much older boy. Mm-hmm. So the the only one who is circumcised on the eighth is Isaac, who is the heir, and so there's this that that tension in it. But the significant thing from, from a New Testament perspective about that, if you go back to Genesis fifteen six, 6, um,
3: when Abraham's
0: saying, um, well, I just read 15 from the chapter, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Mm-hmm. So that means if um, God tells someone not to be afraid, it means they were afraid. <laughs> so he was worried about something and worried about, you know, and, and here's we find out what, what he's worried about. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So, so a slave would inherit his property, which wasn't ideal. Then Abr- Abram said, look, you give me no offspring. You need one born in my house is my one. Unless <clears throat> a kind of change. It says one born in my house is my heir, but it means not my son. Verse four, behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And here's a key verse quoted two or three times in the New Testament. It says, and he, Abraham, or Abram at this point, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And what the point St. Paul makes about Abram believed the Lord and he counted righteousness is, this is two chapters before circumcision. So when St. Paul is around the New Testament having debates with people who say he has to be circumcised to be saved, and St. Paul's doctrine of justification by faith is largely rooted in this passage, that what made Abram righteous is that he heard God's word and believed it, and the covenant of
3: circumcision came after
1: Important. Yes. Important. By faith,
0: not by work. By works. And uh, now, James weighs in on this mm-hmm. and says, mm-hmm. Was not Abraham justified by his works
3: mm-hmm.
0: when he sacrificed Isaac?
3: Uh-huh.
0: But then he says, You see, his faith was working together with his works, yeah. mm-hmm. and that we certainly believe that it's not a, an abstract. Warm feeling of faith. It's a faith that trusts and therefore continues on in obedience because it trusts. Sometimes that's been mistaken in in um, contemporary Christianity to mean that because I had a warm feeling in a moment in time, that's what faith is. But genuine faith may be initiated by an experiential encounter. But it is evidenced by the fact that that experiential encounter with God leads one to a life of of, of faithfulness. And faith and faithfulness are really inseparable scripturally. There's not an abstract possession called faith that is separate from the living out of faithfulness. I think the, the key to understand in that sense is that faithfulness does not mean complete and uh, unwavering moral perfection at every point in your life. It means that continuing to hold on to Christ, and we you know we, we keep we keep you know and that that is why even the Old Testament and understand the reality of forgiveness to be part of holding on because we can't live in relationship with God unless there's some way. To deal with the reality that we don't always get it just right, but we don't reject it. We don't mm-hmm. cease to to to
3: follow. So, um,
0: so Ab- so then 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 Abram is, and when he has a circumcision, uh, he is his name is changed to Abraham, and then he has um, his son Isaac.
3: And then his son, Jacob. And. This is all
0: in this 2014-50 horizon. Where Abram's living in the promised land. Living in that land of of Canaan. That would become Israel. But it's not Israel yet. And yet he doesn't own any of it. And. that's a significant thing. That's that's also used by Saint Peter as an image of the Christian life that we are strained. Abram was what we call Abraham, was what we call a resident alien of the Promised Land. He didn't have any citizenship rights, but he lived there.
3: Um, so
0: he had Isaac and Jacob. They lived. Yeah, they were. Um, Abram was a wealthy guy. It was a wealthy resident alien, you know. Uh, and um, but so the I mean, Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob has how many children?
2: Twelve. Good question. Thirteen. Thirteen. Who's <laughs> the thirteenth? D- Dinah. Dinah. <laughs> yeah, Dinah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, now wait a minute. I, Jacob is Isaac's son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said something earlier that made it sound like they were brothers, but right. they're not. No, no they're not I, not Jacob right. is Isaac's son. No, yeah,
0: Jacob's his, his son. <laughs> Esau is Jacob's brother, and that's a whole different saga. Jacob and
1: Esau. Yeah. No, I and Jacob turns I, I out she's referring you know. to it. It kind of sounds that way.
0: And so they, so then then it's it's in that period that after Genesis Exodus begins with. Um, <clears throat> Israel has got there's a famine in the land of Canaan that's, that's the story that, that is told in um, at the end of Genesis and well there's a whole nasty story let's mm-hmm. back up a step about mm-hmm. Jacob has 12 sons and there's one son they're all jealous of
2: Joseph, yeah.
0: Joseph who, who's daddy's boy who he gives him nice stuff naively, I think, in the face of his brothers, and they don't like him, so they sell him to the Egyptians. And, well, they're uh, going to
1: tell him, so.
0: And then there's a, they go down in, in, into, um, so there's a famine, and then the, the story goes that they have to go down, and it turns out Joseph is in charge. And, and we, should be, we should be aware in all that also of, of that this is sort of the, the metaphorical connection to the New Testament narrative. That the rejected son Joseph Jesus you know is what metaphorically killed he Joseph goes down to Egypt and Jesus descends into uh, you know Hades uh, but then is raised up and becomes the Savior and there's a tremendous story at the end of um, that Joseph narrative where where Joseph um, reveals himself to his brothers in Egypt. And there are um, 11 of them, very apostolic, because there's only 11 left at that point in time. And they're in awe that Joseph is alive, 11 brothers looking at him, very much like the resurrection narrative, showing the apostles looking at Jesus alive. So the narrative, there's a tremendous narrative connection thematic connection between the Joseph story and the, and the gospel. So we get then into Exodus and the beginning, Exodus begins with the Israelites in Egypt. There's a period of time passes, um, and I, uh, exactly when the... Um, in this period from, say, 2000 to 1450, if we take the traditional date, exactly when that, they came to Egypt there and how much time they spent there is a question. But they have a... a, a and then an, a, a pharaoh rises who who doesn't like the Israelites as much as the previous pharaoh, like Joseph, he enslaves them, and then Moses comes to save them and lead them out. And that's the... Um, the events of Exodus: how Israel comes out of Egypt, how Moses leads the people out of Egypt, um, and then they come to the other significant thing at this point. How they come out of Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai and get the law. So the date of the Exodus is also the date, roughly within a, of giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, where the covenant, uh, the Torah, that's what the Jews call the Torah. So up until this time, there's no, um, there's no Torah. It is an interesting thing when you read um, the Bible because there are clearly, though there's no, absolutely written Torah, there clearly is some understanding of, of religion and cultic legislation. So, for example, when Noah is told to to take animals on the ark, he's told to take two of every clean animal. But we haven't up until then. Had any instructions about what is clean and what is not clean. So what you is all this to say is that when when these regulations, when these these instructions come into the Torah, the five that given to Moses, God's not creating this out of whole cloth. There are kinds of there's a kind of religion being practiced and may have tints of paganism, and God is clarifying, oh, this is what you will do, and this is how your religion. Will be distinct from the religions of the people around you, um, much much as your creation narrative distinguishes you from them. So that's that's where the Sinai covenant is made, and then and then they wander through the wilderness and enter the promised land, and so Exodus tells about the coming out of Egypt. Leviticus is a priestly book that talks about all the legal legislation for priests in the temple, how they're supposed to dress and behave, and it uh, has, has a number of moral instruction, ethical instructions. Numbers, we've been reading at morning prayer, Chronicles, the wandering of of the wilderness, and, and it ends with, uh, and Deut- Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah. The Torah, the five books in Moses are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is kind of the, it, it's 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 um, framed as at the end of the wilderness wandering, before it was going into the promised land, God recaps for Israel what he's taught them and how what going forward will mean, including at the end of Deuteronomy, um, the blessing and, and the curses. If you are faithful to the covenant, all these good things are going to happen. But if you're not, and there are, Fairly extended curses and graphic. But the main thing that um, that is, is said at the end of them is, I'll, I'm going to send you in, but if you're not faithful, I'm going to kick you out again. And so we just read an evening prayer. One of the books, um, Nehemiah. If you look at the very, very bottom right corner, we get to the rebuilding of the, of the temple. Um, Nehemiah, he, when he goes back, he... He yeah, has a prayer we had in last night's reading about um you said that you'd kick us out if we didn't do it and we're guilty and you you were right. Now now forgive us and be with us as we rebuild. So that's kind of what Deuteronomy um what Deuteronomy covers a restatement of the covenant and it's moving forward with its implications for Israel going to promise land beyond. And then and then um we just are morning prayer right now reading how Joshua, Moses dies in the wilderness, he doesn't get to go on the promised land. It's another way of showing how all of the great patriarchs are not the guy who's finally gonna lead Israel to the fulfillment. Moses dies and so Joshua leads the people in, uh, uh, and uh, in in the beginning of Joshua's story how uh, God again parts the Jordan River, like he moves part of the Red Sea, people cross the Jordan and go in, and then uh, there's there's initial conquests that are notable, and um, and then Joshua and Judges is kind of like the good news, bad news. Joshua is they're, they're kicking ass, taking names, conquering, and Judges is, but they didn't kick these guys out, but they didn't kick those guys out, but this. And so... At the end of Judges, when they send to the prophet, we already have established unfaithfulness. Israel did not do what God said to do. And they're stuck in the promised land, a situation where they're, they're established there as the owners of the land, but there's native inhabitants, pagans, that they've taken over, and they've allowed their religions to continue. And so it was always a problem for Israel, because what essentially ancient religion had this idea um, that Gods were somewhat regional. So, um, like, you believe in the God of Israel, was one big God, but, you know, up there in that northern valley of planting your crops, here you had to have a little something to this God. And that's the kind of the syncretism you get into. And you could say, well, how silly is that? Well, it, it, it translates in, into the contemporary world. People say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and he's Lord, but you know, at work, you just got to do a couple things to get by. Some of the ethical arrangements here. And that's, what, that's the, the way that we get compromised, is we, we make, and that's exactly what Israel did. And, and so you get these, this, this thing, what happens is eventually, um, we should read this whole movement through the, through the wilderness into the promised land as kind of metaphorical for the spiritual life. There are lots of difficulties people have with God's command to wipe out the Canaanites. We're not going to talk about those today. (laughs) Uh, But we read those as um, now we, in 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 Christ, are receiving the promise and we're entering into our inheritance. And we enter more fully into the kingdom as we conquer the evil within us that surrounds us in our lives. And like the Israelites, when we begin to make little, little local compromises with things to get by, we begin to get undermined. We get spiritually weaker. And things we're supposed to conquer, conquer us. So in the spiritual life, we fulfill the command to Joshua and the Israelites when we don't make those kind of compromises in our life. And when we, we say no to the sin, to, to things that are wrong. And this we understand in the spiritual life, this is a protracted battle, the spiritual battle which is that we, we mean to say no, we stumble, we come back and make a good confession, we, but by slow perseverance in the discipline of saying no to things and yes to Christ, we, we grow into who we're supposed to be. Conversely, if, if we have a slow discipline of growing compromise, we'll be overwhelmed like the Israelites who find themselves subject to pagan rulers in a land that's supposed to be conquering.
3: So Joshua and
0: Judges deal with this period of entry into the promise and the conquest of Canaan. And um, the book of Ruth is situated in there in there. It's a book of uh redemption for a family that also is genealogical because it gives us the ancestry of King David. Um, but it's an interesting snippet story of okay, like. You get these, these big picture stories of what God's saying. And here you get some God's faithfulness to a family, a family, and especially a, a, a woman, Ruth, who um, makes, takes advantage of God's provision. Because God in, in, in Ruth, um, Boaz is this righteous man who owns a farm. Torah says, you know, harvest all the field. You leave some on the ground. So the poor and Ruth is out there collecting. And so it's, it's, there's a little bit of that intuition of how, uh, how redemption worked within Israel, how, how people who didn't have things, provision was made for them. And that would also, I think, be a, a clear distinction in Israel and the surrounding people. The concern for those who are less fortunate um, has always been unique among, among uh, people of God. And then, so the period of the Judges is a period where Israel is, is, um this is this period from, say, 1440 to tw- 1030, um it's being called the second, second column, fourth column. Um Israel is in the promised land, and the, the book of Judges, if you've read it, it, it's like Israel, uh, uh, made compromise, became slaves to this, they cried out to the Lord, and He sent this judge to stand up and win back, you know, freedom. But then they digressed again and fell under slavery. And then God sent this judge who raised up, and this judges are people like like uh, Samson is one of the, the judges, and and this guy named Jephthah. Great, some problematic stories in, in that book. But um, at the end of Judges, they uh, Israel is. Um, They seem to get tired of that, and they ask for a king. And God doesn't like that, because God uh, thinks he's their king, and wants them just to trust him. And when they do, it works out fine. And it's kind of interesting we do that, rather rather than wanting, you know, taking responsibility, personally faithful. I want somebody to do it for me. Like uh, my friend Bishop used to use, you say that Episcopalians viewed the priest as the person they paid to be Christian for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little brutal, but you get the kind of yeah, you know, this instead of so. Um, there's also something in in the choosing of a king that's interesting uh, that comes out in the Torah also, because the king does come to wield great power over the people, and God doesn't seem if you really take. Pay attention to the Torah. God God structures the Torah so nobody ever is able to amass a great deal of power. Um, and I actually think this pertains to things in our our world that I'm, I'm not advocating for because uh, I'm not I'm advocating for the kingdom, not temporal revolution. But for example, in Israel, um, you were given land to live on that you couldn't sell, although you could. If you got in debt, you could lease it out until the jubilee year, and then you had to give it back to your original owner. So you could you could you could somehow you know let someone use your land to help you out of debt for a certain number of years, you know, for crops. You always got it back. So in the Torah, it precluded this collecting real estate by people. Then can profit and 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 take advantage of people then who 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 are then at their mercy for for what land and things cost, and that's a big problem, as we know in California. Um, don't go home and say, Bishop Scarlet's against private property like that. But I do think this is an issue. It's like, it, it's, it's um, God doesn't want to set up a, a civilization where people have, where those who can have power can take advantage of those who don't. But you see that movement throughout history. You see in Israel, that's really why God didn't want to have a king. Because he can, he can start taking things from you. And the things that, that uh, especially King Solomon, for all the greatness it says about Solomon, the extractions he makes are not Torah extractions. He just starts taxing people. And, the, and they seem to be okay because he's powerful and he builds a great temple and they're all prospering, but it turns out he had a lot of forced labor made people work and a lot of things that weren't so good. So anyway, they get a king and the first king is Saul. That's into our fourth column, which is a strange story because God chooses Saul and then Saul ends up being a bad guy. He rejects Saul and chooses David. And, um, and then, and then David's son is Solomon. And a lot of the, the, um,
3: The image
0: in the New Testament, the son of David, you know, son of David, have mercy on us. Um, David, it was promised to David in in uh, Samuel that uh, a descendant of his would, would rule. In the near term, that's Solomon. But Solomon is good in certain ways, but becomes actually the king who, who, um, initiates a lot of evil in Israel because he begins to, um, in the in language of King James, he loved many strange women, mm-hmm. but it really means foreign women. And what it means is, um, when you're king and you want to make a treaty with your neighboring country, you say, well, okay, I'll, I'll marry one of your daughters. She gets to come to my palace. We have treaty. But she gets to then Practice her religion in your kingdom, and Solomon allowed idol shrines to be set up in Jerusalem. The most horrible of which was a child sacrifice shrine, that 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 begins is really the beginning of of of, of evil that Jeremiah roundly condemns. And that child sacrifice shrine that, that Solomon allows, um, it's the origin of the New Testament con- uh, uh, image of hell. Because it, it was in the Valley of Hinoam, or Gehenna. And it was, it was the offerings in it were made through fire. You pass the child to the God through fire. And then later on, when Jeremiah condemns it, it becomes a garbage dump, where garbage is burned in the fire. And when Jesus says, uh, if you're right, I offend you, Pluck it out and cast it away. It's better, uh, you know, to, to go into life with one eye than having two eyes be cast into Gehenna. So that image of that, those images, are a backdrop from that. That movie really is really Solomon, and Solomon built the temple. So Solomon, the, the, but the main thing that, to think about about this date here, about nine thirty BC, with Solomon, is this is the golden age of Israel. Israel is a preeminent Near Eastern power. Solomon and his regime control all the trade routes through this country. It's an enormously prosperous reign. And it never gets that good again. It's all downhill from there. To you get a taste of this, is get the temple, worship in the temple is glorious worship. God inhabits the temple with a, with a cloud descending. And, and Solomon is king, and the son of David's on the throne, and here it is, but, but. And that's without the, throughout the Old Testament, you get these fulfillments, but. It's like Joshua, we enter promised land, it's great, but they didn't do this. And so, so that, that's kind of the, the big, um, and so the, the period, when you look at, that's an important column to, to put in mind as, as a kind of the watershed moment, that that everything before Solomon and the building of the temple in that sort of fourth column and the line down says first temple built 970. Everything before that was looking was looking towards the promise God made. You know, you land, give you a land, give you descendants, or give you all these things, and now a king and a son and prosperity you have. Everything after that is the unraveling of that through through Israel's disobedience. Um, we see that the, the books that, that chronicle this period of the monarchy, you know, are First are, uh, and Second Samuel. First Samuel begins in the in with Samuel, who's the last judge, and then moves over into Saul, the first king, and then Second Samuel, First Kings, and Second uh, Kings starts later on. First uh, Kings chronicles kings from that, 900s B.C. up until the 800s. Also, I should note, the book of Chronicles um, are, are books that are, are often believed to be written later, maybe by even the Jewish community in exile, to, to, to tell the story. And also, if you look at the being of Chronicles, there's a long genealogy. Because when they're going back after the temple was destroyed at the end of the Old Testament. Um, and they go back to rebuild. In order to reestablish Israel, you need a temple, and you need a king. The king has to be ascended as David. If you have a temple, and you have, you're going to have worship, you need a priest who's ascended as Levi. So these genealogies become important to track where you are in that. So Chronicles... Uh, down at the bottom there, that the, the Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, are probably written later, but they they chronicle this history, they're retelling the history from a scientific perspective. Um, we should note there for the Psalms, I put Psalms under that column under David, but then it, I, I put the arrow way to the right, because some Psalms, I think, are clearly written by King David, But some psalms are clearly not written by King David. So, for example, there's a psalm that says, uh, By the waters of Babylon we sat down and wept, we remember the Ozion, as the exiles after the destruction of the temple in Babylon. Well, that's clearly 580 B.C. or 585 B.C. And David, who died 400 years later, did not write that psalm. So it's a psalm tradition that begins there with David, but continues on. With others as well. Proverbs is also, it's, used, it's often um, um, the Proverbs of Solomon, but in, in a similar way, it's it's not gener- generally, he seems to be ascribed as the origin of that wisdom literature, which is common in the ancient Near East, but he didn't, if you look at those Proverbs that he probably didn't write, the collection just expands out. And Ecclesiastes, and that's a whole study in its own. Uh, the, the sort of wisdom literature books, which would be Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, um, and and uh, it, and they make different kinds kinds of points in there. Um, that was a a category of ancient literature, wisdom literature. Courts that many kings had, they write wise sayings, and so this this partakes of that only in light of, of, the, of the wisdom
3: that comes from God.
0: And we'll, maybe we'll we'll wrap up today here, kind of at this at this next point, and kind of talk through some of the, the the rest of this next week. But so the so the the beginning of of the of the disintegration of Israel. Is in 931. So Solomon had, he was this powerful figure who was able to control uh, Israel and, and, uh, and he dies and he has two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and they are not his father. Uh, well, Jeroboam's not his son, I, I think, but, but Rehoboam is his son. And there, there are answers to a trivia question.
2: Yeah, but the champagne. Champagne
0: bottles. Yeah. You can get a Jeroboam and a Rehoboam anyway. champagne. Um, but but his, the, the story is told that in, in the scriptures that the people came to Rehoboam and said, if you lighten it up a little bit, we'll accept you. We'll be our king. But if not, and being arrogant as, as young men often are, he said, "Wow, we're going to be, you know, so they had a rebellion and the northern tribe separated. So from that point on, 931, this is important to understand, but Israel, Israel's no lo- there's no longer one Israel. There's, there's a northern kingdom called Israel with a capital of Samaria, and that's whose who's, uh, king is Jeroboam. Who's not a Davidic king anymore. He's someone God said, I'll give you this, this this kingdom. And then there's a southern kingdom called Judah with this capital of Jerusalem. And that's where the descendants of David continue to reign and continue to be around the temple. And... When you read through the books of of Kings, it'll it'll kind of go back and forth, and such and such here, this guy, this guy began to reign here, and this guy, so it kind of overlaps them like that. So, um, we'll stop there today, and we'll pick up um, next time, just kind of talking through the chronology of the rest of this. And the point of this, I think, to hold on to this, and I always, this is, I was always learn the Bible this way of where does this thing fit, how does it fit in the story? It makes that's always helps me to understand things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so hope this can be a reference again reading this, okay, where is this? Okay, this is in this period of history, this is what's going on, and that can give some some understanding of that. We'll talk next to about the two um, separate acts of judgment, the Northern Kingdom, and the Southern Kingdom, and how that plays into the New Testament and so on. All right us pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make His face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up His countenance upon us, give us peace this day and forevermore.
1: Amen. Your book is there. It's just sideways, Understanding Genesis.
0: Okay. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that's the thing. what's is interesting. It that's so it's. Um, okay, thank you. The Jewish guys are great because they don't get into a lot of stupid scholarship. They just tell you what book means. I mean, they're ignore but they don't. A lot of the scholarly guys, they're putting you know, a hundred pages on who might have written this or not. It's like okay. So, anyway, good yeah, with us, Mimi Griselda. I, Mimi, we can send you a copy of this so you can have a hard copy in hand. We'll try to get that to you this week for next week. Now, Salvo, I'll send can send a couple copies, she can have one. Oh, that's good. Lane, good to see you online, Elizabeth, Connie.
3: Right. Thank you. Oh, do you have a question? Yeah.